We're going into a season as a church where we want to teach on foundations. Foundations are crucial. Amen. And many of you have been Christians for a long time, but there are gaps in your lives. There are gaps in your life. And it's great that in one of the small groups, we've got foundations happening. I think in some of the other small groups, they'll also uh, be do doing that kind of thing. So just get involved in a small group setting. However, there's certain topics that we're going to be covering in the church context here, all right, in this public setting. And uh, I've been asked to do a few of them. And one of them is on the subject, overcoming temptation. Say to the person next to you, overcoming temptation. Overcoming temptation. You know, one of the sad things is that in this day and age, there's some people who say, don't preach about sin. You've heard people saying that, right? They say, don't preach about sin, just talk about Jesus. Then everything else flows. The problem with that mindset is that the Bible does talk about sin. And the Bible does talk about overcoming sin. So I don't know about you, but I just want to do what's in the Bible. Amen. We won't preach about sin every single Sunday, but there's a place for talking about overcoming temptations. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. Some people have got a funny doctrine nowadays where the moment you mention anything to do with sin, they say you're being a legalist, right? And you're now preaching law. That's not true. And so just stay with me and we're going to go on a bit of a journey today, this morning, in scripture, and we'll see whether I will do it in one sermon or whether I will do it in two. But we will go deep into the word, and I'm going to give you principles that will help you to overcome temptation. I'm going to give you some quotes to start off with. Aristotle once said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is the victory over self. The hardest victory is the victory over self. You say to me, but Paul, what's my downfall going to be? Very often it's the enemy within. If you look at great leaders, people who've accomplished great things, but then have fallen at a certain point in time, you'll see that the battle was not from outside. The battle was from within. I coach lots of people and I say to them, what's your growth step? What's that key thing you need to deal with in order for you to go to the next level? And very often the things that they'll mention, they'll say, if my boss just changed this, if my husband just did this differently, if my wife just changed this, and I have to always hone them back in and say, I'm talking about something that is within your control. How many of you know if someone comes to you and says, I will be happy when my boss changes, I'll be happy when my wife changes, you've just given your happiness, you've just given it over to someone else. Amen? Very often it's the enemy within. What has tripped you up historically? If someone says, I don't have money, the, the, the government must just provide for me because I don't have money. Your problem isn't the fact that you don't have enough money. Your problem is you're not doing what you need to do in order to get more money. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because God empowers us. And here's the thing, the best gift you can give the people around you is your own personal development. Simple as that. I'm going to say it again. The best gift you can give the people around you is your own personal development. If you've got anger issues, I mean, if you have anger issues, don't put your hand up. All right? <laughs> if you've got anger issues, 
The best gift you can give your family is going for anger management or deliverance, whatever the solution is. Amen? How many of you have a lying problem? If you're a problem lying, the best gift you can give the people around you, your family, your bosses, your church, is getting delivered from the lying spirit. Amen? One of the problems with society today is we don't work on ourselves. One of the problems with society today is we don't work on ourselves. The problem our children are facing today is they're over-entertained and under-discipled. Amen? They're over-entertained and under-discipled. I've been talking to my wife. We've been talking just in terms of our children. And I was saying at the dining room table, I think it was yesterday, in front of the kids, and I said, you know what, sometimes we believe in God for these amazing kids, you know, who will turn out to be these wonderful missionaries, wonderful kingdom financiers and so on. But what are we feeding them? We feed them the word, but the rest of the time when they're not with us, they're playing computer games. They might have friends who are bad influence and they might be exposed to a lot of things on, me on the media. But we still believe in God that a miracle will happen and there'll be these radical Christians like their parents. Just because you're a radical Christian doesn't mean your children automatically become radical. Amen? What you put in is what you get out. The best gift you can give the people around you is your own personal development. I want to encourage you this morning. Have a vision of the type of Christian that you want to become. You see, many people have a, bus a business vision. Many people have a business, have a vision for their education. Few people have a clear picture of the type of Christian that they want to become. Do you see yourself praying for hours? Do you see yourself healing the sick? Do you see yourself going and witnessing to people and reaching the lost? At a beautiful time, I was at the mall, I was in the car park and so on. Old man next to me ended up giving his heart to the Lord Jesus. I felt such compassion. He came with a particular need. He went off having received Christ. That's the best gift we can give the people around us. Amen. Have a vision of the type of Christian you want to be. Do you see yourself as this person who's just a churchgoer? Do you remember the old story of this guy? He, people would take bets and they would have these dog fights. And he would always win because he was the owner of the dogs. And he would place a bet and he would say, I'm telling you, this week this one is going to win. And it would win. And then the next week he would say, this one is going to win. And it would win. And people would say, how can you always predict which dog is going to win? And you're making so much money in the process. And what did he say? I always know because it's the one I feed the most. Is the one I feed the most. People who do athletics, people who do, my, you know, my wife, you know, world champ, championships and so on. A big industry there is the nutrition. It's the nutrition and how you eat or don't and what you take, all those fancy gels they have and, you know, hydration and so on. That can make or break you in the competition. Amen? My question to you is what are you feeding yourself? Let's not play games. It's not enough just hearing a Sunday message, ladies and gentlemen. What are you feeding yourself? Are you finding that you're always being tripped up in exactly the same sin as, you, as, as, as the same sin that tripped you up 10 years ago? Some of you became Christians two weeks ago and you've made so much progress. Why? Because of what you're feeding yourself. Some of you here in this room, you know who you are. Just look straight. Okay, many of you don't turn red, but just look straight, right? 
Some of you have been Christians for 20 years, but you're not making progress. You're always going around the same, same, same mulberry bush or mountain. Why? It's what we feed ourselves. Amen. I like what John W. DeForest said. It is not the great temptations that ruin us. It is the little ones. What are those little foxes? The Bible says, beware of the little foxes. What are the little foxes that are affecting your marriage today? What are the little foxes that are affecting your business today? It's those things that we need to uproot from our lives. Amen? See, the enemy's strategy is to say to you, ah, no, it's small. Ah, no, everyone else is doing it. Why do people end up on steroids? Strong athletes. How many of you were sprinters here? Court, so I know you were. Some of the ladies here were, oh, CD, okay, all right, okay, all right. I'm seeing hands everywhere. I'm seeing hands. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, all right? But, but, but if you listen to guys who ended up going on steroids, taking anabolic steroids, 100-meter sprinters, right? You ask them, why did you do so? I've watched some of the interviews, and what do they say? Everyone else was doing it, and I didn't want to be left behind. One guy, one British guy said, you know what? People want to see sub-tens. They want you to do nine-point-something. They don't want you to do above 10 seconds, right? And I'm thinking to myself, is that why you're going to compromise? Because people want to see sub-tens. Are you following me this morning? Right? What is that high thing in your mind, that argument that is exalting itself, that causes you to sin? Everyone else is doing it, so it's okay. Let me sleep around. Everyone else is doing it, so it's fine. So let me pay bribes. Everyone else is doing it, but the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but it only leads to death. You know what principle is there? Very often sin, what the Bible calls sin, actually seems right. Sin is not always obvious. Very often it actually seems right. There's a way that seems right to man, but it will only lead to death. What is it that you're engaging in right now that seems right? My friend, it will lead to death. Spiritual death and physical death. Amen. Sir Edmund Hillary, he said, It is not the mountains that we conquer, but ourselves. It is not the mountains that we conquer, but ourselves. So he was there climbing Everest. He realized that it's not about conquering the mountain. It's about conquering myself. What does it mean? How do you conquer yourself? Conquer your fears. Some of you have been limited in your lives because of fear. Some of you have been limited because of fear of man. Some of you have been bound by the man-pleasing spirit. Some of you have been bound by your own lust. It is not the mountains that we conquer, but it's ourselves. Have you conquered yourself? Have you conquered yourself? John Locke said, The discipline of desire is the background of character. I'm going to talk about desire just now. Not desire as in the singer in the church, but desire, your desires, right? Someone once said, the road to success is dotted with many tempting parking places. The road to success is dotted with many tempting parking places. The sad news, ladies and gentlemen, is some of you have parked you were going, you were heading for success. 
But at a certain point, you've parked. And you know what the scary thing is? You're not aware of it. You still think you're going in the race, but you've actually parked. And, you, and, and your engine is, is, is lying idle. It's idling. We can smell the, the fumes. It's lying idle, but it's like a simulator. You think you're moving, but you're just in one spot. We must invest in ourselves. You know what saddens me? A lot of us as Christians are scoring own goals. The soccer lovers in our midst are now thinking soccer. I'm not talking soccer. I'm talking about when you score an own goal in your life. When you literally mess up, but it's your own doing. It's of your own doing. How many of you know that your self-concept will determine your behavior? How you see yourself. If you see yourself as a spiritual giant, you'll do what spiritual giants do. If you see yourself as an average Christian, you'll do what average Christians do. What do I mean by an own goal? There was a lady I saw the other day. I was arriving at a client. I was, I was driving in to, I was almost at Five Simmons. Those of you who know Five Simmons, you know who it is. I was, I was almost there. And I see this lady walking with a couple of other ladies. And she had a shirt on that said, very bad girl. How many of you know that that's an own goal she's just scored? She had a shirt on saying, very bad girl. And it fascinated me because I'm thinking to myself, she seemed like just an ordinary person. But I was wondering, why would someone wear a shirt that says, very bad girl? That just invites all sorts of things. Come on, let's be honest. Guys, if you see a woman wearing that shirt, I mean, you, <laughs> if you're a dubious character, it will give you confidence. And so we laugh about that, but in terms of the labels that we attach to ourselves and that we attach to our identities, a lot of us are scoring own goals in our lives. So I want to ask you a question as we embark on this journey. When you watch a video, if ever there's going to be a video of your life and how it should have been, you're there, you're in heaven. And the Lord Jesus meets up with you and says, hey, this, is, this was my plan. And then he shows you the video of what your life should have looked like. My question to you this morning is, how you're living your life and how it's playing out, how different will it be to that video that Jesus could show you? It's quite a scary thought, isn't it? Just think about that for some time. Just think about it. That video that he plays, what will it actually look like? What do you see yourself doing? How productive are you on that video? Who are you interacting with? Remember, it's a video where you've overcome yourself. It's a video where you've overcome your fears. It's a video where you are obedient to the Lord, but it's prompt obedience. It's a video where you've built all the relational capital you need to build. It's a, a video where if Jesus says, I want you to go here, you will go here. It's a video where there's no greed in your life, where there's no bitterness, where there's no offense. What does that motion picture look like? Can you see it?
What does your life look like now? Why am I saying it? Why am I saying it? You see, in overcoming temptation, we're basically overcoming the lure of sin, aren't we? And what is sin? Sin is missing the mark. That's the biblical definition of sin. It's when you miss the mark. Imagine someone is, imagine you've got a dart and you throw that dart, right? And it doesn't actually reach the target. It falls short of the target. That's what sin is. That's why the Bible tells us that for all have sinned, in the book of Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That video of your perfect full life, that's the glory of God in your life. Complete glory. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of that. I want you to know this morning that God has given you, God has given me all the resources that we need in order to fully embrace his glory in our lives. We have what it takes. Jimmy, you have what it takes. Meliswa, you have what it takes. Older Sipo, you have what it takes. Younger Sipo, you have what it takes. Raquel Shipping, you have what it takes. There is an older Sipo. Someone was looking like frowning. Who's the older Sipo? There's an older Sipo. Wave, older Sipo. The good-looking guy there with the glasses. That's older Sipo. Good-looking married guy there with the glasses. <laughs> Praise God. All right? You have what it takes. The Bible says he has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. No one can say, yeah, but the Lord understands my case. He understands your case, but he's still expect, expecting glory. I know, Pastor, you haven't been through what I've been through. God knows I'm, I'm a special case. When you've counseled so many people, there's nothing that you will tell me that will shock me. I often say that because some people, you can see, they're very sheepish when you're counseling them as a pastor or they come for marital counseling. You see, the real issues only come up in the fifth session. I'm like, so I say, I've learned in the first session, I'll say to them, guys, I just want you to, tell, I just want you to know, there's nothing that you're going to say to me that will shock me. I promise you, I, I would have seen worse, guaranteed. Then the people start re relaxing a bit more. So God knows the space you're in, but he's still giving you all the resources you need to overcome sin. Amen? And we're going to go deep into it. There are varying degrees of sin. I know some people will say, I ah, know it's just the same. No, they're varying degrees. If you study scripture properly, you'll see that the impact of certain sin is different to the impact of other sins. But before God, we've all fallen short. Amen? And everyone has sinned and everyone needs a savior. So what is temptation? What is temptation? Temptation is the enticement to sin and to violate God's moral law. So temptation is not sin. You can be tempted but not sin. Amen? Eve was tempted and she ended up sinning. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but he did not sin. So just because you've been tempted doesn't mean you've sinned. But there's something that happens between the time of temptation and someone falling into sin. And that's what I want to help you to really master. Are you ready? I want to help you to master the in-between time. Because some of you have been tempted and you've sinned. Others of you are tempted even more 
but you haven't sinned. What is the difference? What is the difference? All right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For this reason, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. What is he afraid of? He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. I was afraid that the tempter had tempted you. Who's the tempter? The devil. Say to the person next to you, there's a devil on the loose. All right, we need to be aware of it because there's a teaching out there that there isn't really the devil or Satan doesn't exist. You've heard some people say that, right? There's a devil on the loose and one of his main goals is to actually tempt you so that even if you've received salvation, even if we led you to the Lord, we would have labored in vain. So when you hear Master Celia sharing her testimony, it shows us that we didn't labor in vain. It wasn't for nothing, right? But with some people, you sort of think all of that, did we labor in vain, right? So there's a tempter. There's a tempter. So the first point I want to share with you is that enticement comes through the tempter who's the devil, right? The devil is our adversary or our enemy. That's what that word adversary means, all right? Who works against the purpose of God in our lives. So there's that perfect video that Jesus could show you, right? Jesus has a strategy for your life, but in the same way, the devil also has a strategy for your life. So the moment you get a prophetic word and you're excited and you're like, I'm going to do all these wonderful, great things in my life, please be aware that there's an enemy who wants to stop that. And I want to show you how to overcome when it comes to these things. Peter chapter 5 verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Didn't say he is a roaring lion, but like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, there's some people he can't devour. There's some people who are undevourable, if there's such a word. Because the Bible doesn't say he seeks to devour everyone and can, and can devour everyone. It says he's roaming around to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Now, how do you get demonic access into your life? You give the enemy the legal right to mess you around. You give him the legal right. How many of you know that demons can see? So if you've got objects in your house that exalt the enemy, the demonic spirits that want to entice you into darkness, they're attracted to that. How many of you know that there's certain language, if you use that unclean language, in your household, it can attract an unclean spirit. Are you following me this morning? Be very careful. Those of you who use vulgar language, okay, be very careful about that. Those of you who listen to vulgar music, those are things that give the enemy a legal right and legal access into your household. If you're in a situation where you threaten each other using violence, I mean, even that sometimes when some couples fight, you know, all sorts of stuff, the world or darkness, whatever, just comes out. How many of you know that that attracts the enemy and gives the enemy legal access into your life? You know, there's some people who say to me, oh, this is happening in my family, this is happening. And I'm like, I'm not surprised it's happening. 
Because you've literally invited it. You've literally invoked it because you've declared it. You've had faith for it. Why? Because of the words you've spoken and because of the things you have in your house. Are you following me this morning? All right? And so our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word seeking is interesting. It's the same phrase as looking for or searching, right? It actually is the same word for inquire. So the enemy is actually inquiring, and it's inquiring to come to a resolution, right? And you, see, some people have got this thing where they think the devil knows everything. The devil doesn't know everything. God is the only one who's omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. The devil just has a good memory and is quite clever. And so the way he tempts is through trickery. And very often he will know what caused a fight the last time between you and your wife, between you and your daughter, between you and your grandfather. What caused a fight the last time? And if you notice what happens, you can be fine for weeks. And then just before you meet those very same people, you're triggered by the very same thing that caused you to fight the last time. And that's why Jesus, in the book of Matthew, he says what? He says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. He doesn't just say pray. He says, watch and pray. That word watch is the word be alert. Be alert. What should we be alert concerning? Concerning how we were tripped up before. Concerning what the enemy's strategy against us could possibly be right now in this season. Amen? We need to watch and we need to pray, lest we fall into temptation. The devil is a liar who promises pleasure but delivers only death. In John chapter 8 verse 44, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we fall into sin, there's always a lie we've believed. Think about it. Think about the times when you've messed up. I know some people don't like going there, but just think about it. There's always a lie we can trace it to. Oh no, I, I did this and I paid this money because I believed that it's okay. God understands everyone else is doing it. Oh, 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 I ended up being with this guy. What lie did you believe? I didn't think God could bless me with anything better, so I thought, let me just settle. There's always a lie. You see, we think the devil is so powerful. He's not. He's only powerful to the degree to which you believe his trickery. He's only powerful to the degree to which you believe his lies and his schemes. That's why the Bible says, therefore you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. The key to our freedom, ladies and gentlemen, is knowing the truth. The truth you don't know won't make you free. And that's why we need to be in the word. In a couple of weeks, we'll be talking about renewing the mind. Amen? We're talking about renewing the mind. The devil is a deceiver who attempts to induce us to believe a lie about ourselves and lies about God. Do you remember what happened to Eve? What's the first thing the devil said to Eve? Has God really said you can't eat from this tree? Has God really said? 
Some of you right now are being tempted in all sorts of ways and you're thinking, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but, but surely things can change. We're now in the 21st century. God understands. In Revelation 12 verse 9, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. There's an interesting thing in scripture. Uh, we call it teleos and it's about how will things actually end. Is that Greek word teleos? How will things actually end? And so when you study these end times, when you study how everything will end, isn't it wonderful to know that the great dragon was hurled down? And then it explains for us. We don't have to decipher anything who this was. It says the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So it's clear who it's talking about. And it says who leads the whole world astray. Ladies and gentlemen, you might be seeing people who look very successful out there. People you admire. Maybe your children have posters of them in their rooms. Maybe they're your favorite rap star. But the Bible talks about Satan and it says, who leads the whole world astray. The people who you've made an idol out of, are, are they in that category of person who's been led astray by the devil? Are you in a situation where certain your life are fine, but in other areas you're actually being led astray? What are those high places in your mind? Let's be honest now. That thing that you hold on to so dearly. If someone tries to take it away from you, it's so close to your heart. You're like, yes, I'll go to church. Yes, I'll, I'll pray every day. But this, don't take it away from me. You know what? That thing is the thing that's going to stop you from achieving your purpose in life. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was calling people to himself? What did the one man say? Oh no, I've got my family, I've got my father. Let me, let me let my father first die. Let me bury him. And then I'll follow you, Jesus. You know what he was really saying? I want to get me some cash from him because, you know, there's an inheritance there. Right? So let me first bury him and then I'll follow you, Jesus. Another guy says, you know what? I've got my oxen. I've got, he was basically saying, I've got a business to run. Jesus, you know what? My intentions are great. I'm good. You're good. I'm not a bad person but I've got my business. What's that thing that's stopping you from embracing glory? What's that thing that's stopping you from embracing God's purpose for your life? What's that thing that causes you to fall short? Please, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're a bad parent. But what I'm saying is, could it be that we're one of those people that have fallen short of glory? Amen? I don't want that to happen to my children. I've, I've, I've said to them a couple of days ago, we sat down. It was my birthday message to them, actually, because, you know, dad said the nice things and so on, or my wife and one of my kids had said the nice things to me. And then I said, okay, now it's the dad talk. We're reducing game time. We're reducing it. I won't tell you reducing to what, but greatly reduced not allowed during the week, but then weekends, because we started seeing it was getting a bit too much. Some of you can feel me on this, right? We started realizing that we'd say, okay, kids, I think it's enough now. You need to stop playing Fortnite. 
You know what I'm talking, you know, Fortnite with all the dance moves and everything. It's like, guys, you need to stop like just one more round, one more round. Guys, mom has called you to dinner like 20 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. One more round. How long is this round going to be? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Your spirituality is seen in what you invest your time in. We've all been given 24 hours in a day. The difference between us is how we use those 24 hours. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with computer games, but it's the amount. And some of these computer games can be quite addictive. Are you hearing me this morning? Ladies and gentlemen, you can decide what type of Christian are you going to be. Are you going to be the average Joe? I hope they know Joe's here. Sometimes I say Joe and then a couple of Joes. <laughs> All right? Are you going to be the average Joe or are you going to be radical for Jesus? Because I'm telling you one day when we're there and we're in heaven, we will look and we'll say, what did I pour myself into? Did I, did I live life from a place of eternity? From a vantage point of eternity? What did I pour my life into? I don't know about you, but there are things I disallow in my household. I disallow certain forms of media. I disallow certain language. Sometimes our kids will say to us, uh, but so-and-so uses this word. Isn't it okay? You know, there are those words where there's a fine line. It's not quite a swear word, but I say we don't use it. We don't use it in this household. It's not our standard. Why? That video, one day, the glory. Amen. You know why a lot of times people fall into sin? They haven't decided what their standard is going to be. So like, I just want to keep it open. Just want to keep it open. One of the key things to overcoming temptation is pre-deciding. Gentlemen in this room, have you pre-decided, this is how I relate to people of the opposite sex? And you've got very clear guidelines. Ladies, have you decided, this is how I relate to people of the opposite sex? Have you decided, ladies and gentlemen, if I'm dealing with home affairs or any government department, this is my stance. If someone clearly wants a bribe, this is what my response will be. You decide beforehand, not when you're under pressure. Amen? What is your stance? Are you able to say no? When you go to a function and you know there are people who knew you when you were in the world and you know what you used to do with them when you were in the world, have you pre-decided that I'm going to this particular function, it could be a work function, a social function, but when so-and-so comes and asks me this, this is what my response is going to be. You know what your standards are. Amen? How many of you are in a courting relationship here? That's what we say when we're preaching from the pulpit. Courting relationship. How many of you have got a girlfriend or a boyfriend? You're not yet married. Raise your hands. Have you pre-decided these are our standards? One of the first things we do when we're counseling couples in pre-engagement phase, we say you must have boundaries that you've decided and you've discussed. Physical boundaries. Where you say we don't touch here. We don't do this. We don't take off that. It's our standard. It doesn't matter what our friends are doing. Amen? Or are you like, we just go with the flow? We'll see. <laughs> the church has gone awfully quiet. I must be scratching where it's itching. 
if you've done things incorrectly, the Lord forgives. But just remember, you reap what you sow. The Bible says if we sow into the flesh, we reap corruption, which means death. If we, slow, if we, if we sow into the spirit, we reap eternal life. Just make a choice. Lord, I've messed up. I'm choosing now to follow you fully. There's nothing like a half Christian. Someone can't be half your child. They're either your child or not your child. Amen? God doesn't have any grandkids. He's just got kids. You can't say I'm born again because my parents are born again. You get what I'm saying, right? You're either born again or you're not born again. And you can't live your Christianity vicariously through someone else. And that's why my prayer for my children is that they come to a place of having their own revelation of Jesus. In a very, very dynamic way. Yes, they've been baptized. Yes, they've accepted Christ. Yes, they pray. But I want them to be radical. Settle for second best. Amen? What are you willing to disallow? What are you willing to disallow? So he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know what I find interesting? When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he used the word of God, didn't he? Right? He would say back to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone. But the funny thing is the devil was actually quoting scripture to tempt him. And some of you have been tempted to do certain things, and the way the enemy entices you, he actually uses scripture. But Jesus knew the word better than the devil did. So he used scripture against the misquoted scripture that the enemy was giving him. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. And you know what I find interesting? At a certain point, it says that the devil then left him and the angels ministered to him. But it doesn't leave it there. It says the devil left him until an opportune time. You see, you have seasons of temptation in your life. You'll have seasons of temptation because the enemy knows when you are vulnerable. For some of you, think about it. If you've got a drinking problem, if you've got a drug problem, if you've got a wife-beating problem, I don't know what issues you might have. If you've got a problem with offense, have you noticed that it doesn't happen all the time? It's not this constant thing. You'll have a season where there you are in prayer meetings and you think, ah, cool, I'm sorted now. Until an opportune time. What is that opportune time for you? Sometimes when I've helped people with drinking problems, I'll say, what triggers the behavior? And you'll hear someone saying, it's when I feel lonely, then I go to the bottle. It's when I feel that people have mistreated me, then I go to that particular thing. If someone is a sex addict, which is a, becoming a problem nowadays, you know those guys where they don't know how to sort of you sometimes wonder, like, but surely it's a bit of a process. Like, you've got a belt on, you've got trousers, you've got socks, and so on. You know, and then they come to you, yeah, and then, and then the baby came. And then, you know, babies don't just come. Something happens between the gango, right? But you have a lot of people today who are actually sex addicts. And, and you can pick up that they're sex addicts when they say, I can't help it. I'm talking about real issues, issues we have to counsel people in. People have to be delivered from them. People who will be very involved in church settings and so on, but literally living another life on the side. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, right? So you have what's called a sex addict. And the sad thing is often these people say, I can't help it. Or sometimes you'll hear people saying, the devil made me do it. That's the worst one, right? 
The devil made me do it. So, 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 so how come you don't, have a, you don't just go and start stealing in a shop and the devil made you do it? Or start killing people? But when it comes to a specific area, the devil made me do it. I'm going to show you how to overcome these things. These are real issues. Amen? I'm going to show you. So it says that the enemy comes at an opportune time. I want you to understand this morning, what's the opportune time in your life? Is it when you're low on finances that you're triggered and you're tempted? Is it when you feel angry and in despair? What is that opportune time? Because that's the time for you to watch very carefully. Second thing I want to share with you is that enticement comes through our own lustful desires or appetites. Please, let's not keep blaming the devil. The devil will come and tempt you. But the Bible is very clear that there's no sin that God hasn't given you a way out of. I'll quote the scripture properly just now. There's no sin that God hasn't given you a way out of. So please don't say the devil made me do it, pastor. Amen? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. In James 1, verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when? When, they, when the devil makes them do it? No. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? By their own evil desire and then enticed so what do we need to be dealing with the evil desire are you hearing me you don't just end up jumping into bed with someone you're not married to there was an evil desire that is then conceived then it's watered and then it grows and when it when it's conceived it becomes sin the thing to overcome is the evil desire Amen? And sometimes, you see, you see, some of you are like, but I don't do that. I don't have a problem in that area. Well, what is it for you? Maybe it's greed. And sometimes if we're a church that believes that God wants to prosper us, let me tell you right now, there's a fine line between true biblical prosperity and the spirit of greed. And often the spirit of greed is not identified in churches. Do you know that in the 17th century, back in the day, in 1700s, in, on the eastern seaboard, the great awakening that took place in the time of Jonathan Edwards and all those guys in the United States, there was a guy who was stepped down from eldership in a church because he was profiteering. They felt that the profit he was making off people was based on greed, and they stepped him down. When was the last time you heard that today? Amen? That's the spirit of greed. For some of you, it's bitterness. For some of you, it's offense. We've all got different things. We've all got different things. So there are three primary appetites of man, and they're described in, in, in the following way. There's the lust of the flesh, or perverted sensual or physical cravings. So for example, sexual immorality, addictions, etc. Okay? Galatians 5 verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So we die to the flesh. 
We crucify the flesh. We've crucified those desires. We don't feed them. Moment you have a desire and the desire is building up and it's an evil desire, don't feed it. Don't entertain it. Because that's how you're watering that garden and that thing will grow. Amen? So it talks about the lust of the flesh. Then it also talks about the lust of the eyes. I want to encourage you, let's be like Job. Job made a covenant with his eyes. How many of you have made a covenant with your eyes? If your eyes are the very thing that causes you to sin, Bible says if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. What is it basically saying? The thing that causes you to sin, get rid of it. That friend that causes you to sin, get rid of them. Your life is worth too much. Your family is worth too much. Get rid of it. And let me tell you something. If you're not yet married and you've got a problem with pornography, for example, don't think that that problem just disappears the day you say, I do. You will have an issue with it and it will spoil your marriage one day. Amen? So I'm addressing people from every single age group here. Don't, don't come to me after and say, ah, Paul, you're just talking about married people. No, everyone. Make a covenant. The Bible says Job had a covenant with his eyes. What's a covenant with the eye? You've made a decision. I've made a decision. The only woman I will look at is my wife. Now, if another woman comes and says, hello, Pastor Paul, of course I can see her, but I won't give her a second look. I mean, if you know the problem is the second look. You know what I'm talking about? We see people around. Oh, that person walked in. Nice blouse, nice shoes. The problem is, let's check out. It's the second look. Are you hearing me this morning? But that's a covenant. What's, a covenant is just a big word for agreement. It's a covenant you make with the Lord that I've got a covenant with my eyes. Why? Because that's where sin begins. And, and I'm not speaking from a place of pride. You know what the Bible says in Galatians 6? It says, if any of you catches a brother in any kind of sin... You who are spiritual should restore them, but make sure you do it. It says restore them gently, lest you also fall into that sin. So whenever we address sin issues, we do it with grace. We're gracious in our hearts because we understand that the very thing we're looking at, this person saying, how could they have done that? We could be the next person on the list. Amen? The lust of the eyes or excessive desire for the things of the world. This is greed, covetousness, materialism, the spirit of mammon. When you go into a shop and you see things and you can't help it and you hadn't planned to buy all the stuff but you see yourself just coming out with bags afterwards. The lust of the eyes. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love them. I've got a friend, uh, a pastor friend, he's now pastoring in the States, and he said they came to a point in their family where they realized that if ever they were holding on to something too tightly, material things, just to get rid of the mammon spirit, they would make sure they give it away. 
Is there anything you're so attached to, emotionally attached to, that you own, that you'd never be able to give away? Let's make sure we're always like this when it comes to stuff. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of the eyes. And we need to be clear about what this consists of. How many of you that even as pastors in ministry, we can be caught up in loving the world or the things of the world? You can have ministerial goals that are worldly. Even as a pastor. One pastor was asked the question, he wanted to multiply his churches and do various things. And he was asked a question by another pastor, an older pastor. This older pastor said, are you doing that because God has said so? Or are you doing it just to be successful? You understanding? We have to always look at motives. When we want to grow a ministry, when we want to do interesting exploits. Are we doing it because God has said so? Or are we doing it because we think that's success and that's what it looks like? Can you see the trickery here of the enemy? It's very subtle. The Bible says in Matthew 6 verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things. So are we saying God doesn't want to bless us with things? Of course he wants to bless us with things. But let's seek first his kingdom. I must seek first the kingdom of God, not my own ministry. I must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Because I've got things I want. I've got things I desire and they're not all bad things. But I must seek first the kingdom. Amen. And then the next one that is mentioned is the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Self-promotion. It's that personal desire for, for position, for power, for glory. Guys, we all want to be powerful, don't we? We all want to be recognized and praised by the world. You know what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Oh, that's powerful. Just that. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. You see, sadly, some people will compromise family. They'll sacrifice their marriages because of the pride of life. Your success in this life should never be something where you end up sacrificing your family, your marriage, and what God has called you to. You know what the sad thing is for me, ladies and gentlemen? There are a lot of people who say, yeah, no, I'm going to be away for X number of months. And they don't even know who their kids are. And it's become this accepted thing in church circles, isn't it? Yeah, no, because you need to make money. But it's no longer an issue of survival. For those people. It's now an issue of greed. Amen. I've got many things that I turn away. I've got many things that I say no to. We had planned this August. We had planned a family holiday. Well in advance. I told my wife. I'm keeping it open for that family holiday. I was being asked left, right and said. Paul can you do Ghana? 
big organizations. It would have been very lucrative. The temptation is to cancel and to say, okay, we'll find another free week wherever I'll find it for my family holiday. But you know what? God is honored when I say no to those things. He knows where Paul's priorities are. These are tests we go through, ladies and gentlemen. Multiple. Paul, can you do this? But it's in Malawi. No. This is my time with my family. Amen? My question to you right now is what are you willing to say no to? Are you struggling with the pride of life? Some of you might be in a place, please let's carry on in an attitude of prayer. You might be in a place in your life where if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're falling short of the glory of God. It might not be some gross sin, but you know in your life you're not embracing glory. You're not living according to that perfect video you might see on a particular day. You know you've compromised. You know you're settling for second best. You know that the things you've allowed into your life, maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an evil desire that you've allowed to be conceived into sin. Maybe it's a case where you're not alert and you're not watching. And you're saying, you know what? Better men, better women than me have fallen. I want to make certain decisions right now. Maybe you're in a relationship, but you've got no standards. Maybe you're in a business partnership, but you know it's dodgy. There's a way that seems right to my man, but in the end, it leads to death. If you are here right now, and you want me to pray with you, I'm not going to ask you to come forward because there'll be too many people coming forward. I want to pray for us as a congregation. Raise your hands to heaven right now in surrender. Just saying, God, this, I'm surrendering. This thing, I, I'm going to take authority. I'm going to take authority. I'm no longer going to say, the devil made me do it. I'm no longer going to feed this thing that I've been feeding. I'm surrendering right now. Raise your hands to heaven. Let's pray. Right now in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to have mercy on us as your people. Father, every argument that has exalted itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ, every thought we take captive right now into obedience to Christ Jesus as your word says, that evil desire that has lurked in us, we choose to feed it, Lord. And we die to that thing in the mighty name of Jesus. Maybe it's that second look. Maybe it's the fantasies. Maybe it's those friendships that we've, where we've heard the lie of the enemy that says you can't let go of that person. I declare that's a lie right now in the name of Jesus. Maybe it's that offense or bitterness. Maybe you've said, oh, but all the other kids are like this and we'll just let our kids be ordinary kids. God is raising the bar this morning. God is raising the bar this morning. God is raising the bar. When Jesus died for you and me, it wasn't just for our salvation. It was for a full life embracing his glory. 
Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters this morning and I release them to glory. I release them to live a full life of purpose. I bless every person that is here right now. And Father, those who are bound by any demonic spirits that are helping them to sin. In the name of Jesus, I break the powers of darkness that have been assigned against you. I loose you to the purposes of God. I announce a grace and an ability to overcome sin. That thing that you thought you can't give up, I decree you're giving it up today. That thing that was such a close friend of yours, that sin that has been a part of your life, right now I break its hold over you and I say you're completely loosed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You're loosed to be free and to help others to be free. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Come on, give God all the glory today.